This is leadership, doing the shit, even, even when it's not perfect. Especially when it's not perfect. Yeah. That part. Okay. Because, and because it's not perfect. Yeah. And, and the question is, will it ever be? No. Right. But I'd rather live in a world where I was, I was working for that, working towards that. I, you know, I feel like optimum. I'll go for optimum. <laughs> optimum conditions, optimal, optimal conditions. Perfection feels um, a bit too heavy, mm. not because it can't be perfect. It's because of other people's energy around the word. Mm. I had this client who used to say, she was, her name is Odetta. And she was a singer from the civil rights movement. And she said, her answering machine said, I give thanks today for today is a perfect day. Wonders will follow wonders and miracles shall never cease. For today is a perfect day. Self-leadership can be lonely. It's hard to do the thing no one else wants to do, that no one else is willing to do. But you are not alone. There are others dancing through the fight and laughing as they lead. Let's find them, swap stories, and live through this together. Welcome to How I Live Through This. I'm your host, Ann Roach, and I'm really glad you're here. Today, I've asked Sonia Denise to join me and talk about leadership in developing dreams. As the founder and creative strategist of dreamdevelopment.com, she provides the development that dreamers need to design, fund, and achieve their dreams. Her career spans the public and private sectors, serving clients in the entertainment, social venture, media, and economic development industries. Her quirky brilliance puts dreams into action. Sonia is a dualpreneur who also manages the marketing team within United Talent Agency Speakers Division, which serves an award-winning talent roster. Where some see problems, Sonia Denise sees possibilities. Impassioned and innovative, Sonia curates connections and aligns resources. She speaks creative, chews on strategy, thinks in campaigns, and dreams in digital. Part artist, part visioneer, part futurist, she is always the creative. Sonia lives what she loves and helps others to do the same. Welcome, Sonia. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Anne. I'm glad to be here, and thanks for having me. <laughs> I asked you to come on the podcast because of your ability to dream beyond constraint and the leadership you have to put that dream into reality. And I'm curious, have you always been a dreamer? Have you always led your dreams? Um. I feel as though the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking about my earliest memories of living in a space of possibility. Mm. Um, and I grew up, I grew up in what was called the projects of Harlem, mm -hmm. um, which in the old, I guess it's the, the former location of Yankee Stadium. So now there's a project called the Polo Grounds. And across from it was a smaller development where I lived. And I was acutely aware of having a lack of resources. Hmm. I was always mindful of what we couldn't do, 
of what wasn't possible. And so I think that there is this uh, statement about recently that constraint actually inspires creativity. And so I feel like the constraints of my childhood caused me to practice creativity at a very early age. I was always a creative person anyway. And then it was just like, well, what would happen if no isn't no, but no is just not yet. Or maybe no is like, yes. I remember actually getting the yellow pages and trying to look through the yellow pages to find schools where I could train to be an artist Um, because I discovered I could sing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got a gift. Well, I've got to develop that gift. And I knew that we couldn't afford for me to go to school to learn. So I called these like various schools to see if they had scholarship programs. Wow. How old were you? Oh, a single digit age. Wow. So like before 12. Definitely. Wow. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary to be that young and see possibility. What was your, you say you always, you were always like that. What, what's your earliest memory of that? Oh, seeing possibilities. Hmm. I really should think about this. Um, but you know what it is. I, I would say that honestly, it's being connected to play. Hmm. And I think that when children play, everything's possible. Right. And so I remember being in uh, elementary school and had some really great teachers. And one of them, um, his name is Mr. Frank Ioli. Um, and uh, he was our fifth grade teacher. And he really had an investment in helping us as children who were coming from a particular background understand our history. So we performed this show and we put together. So I actually wrote the show. I was like directing it. Come on. I was like, I, 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 we, did, well, we did a full production for the, for the school, but we had this mini one where we were actually reenacting The Wiz. And yeah. so I had friends who were like the Cowardly Lion. I was Dorothy. And, you know, so I think that possibilities became a reality when I was able to play in the mm. space of that promise if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, I can sing. My friends are the actors in my show. (laughs) Just like I used to play with dolls, but now I've got real humans who like me and I like them that we can do something together. So I really, I think it's just that basic. Yeah. Where did you see that as an example? I think that a couple of things that were um, influences, early influences that I didn't realize were early influences. Mm -hmm. My grandfather had a candy store. Mm. Um, I began to realize that actually the candy store was not just a candy store. As I got older, it was, he was a numbers runner. So it was actually, he was running numbers out of the back and selling candy in the front. But I was just like, oh, entrepreneurship. Right. And again, I didn't know that was the word, but I was like, I can own my own business. So that was one influence. And the other was another uncle who was an uncle by marriage, who was a vaudeville uh, tap dancer and so when I was a kid my big project whenever I would visit um he and my aunt it would it was putting together all of these autographed photos of all these like people that I had only read about so Fats Waller, Ella Fitzgerald, Pearl Bailey, Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington in addition to because there were like 400 photos everybody else 
And it was of this period of time in the 30s where they would perform in repertory. And what they would do is they would sign each other's headshots. And so as a kid, I just would every weekend just pour through these albums like religiously and think about the stories behind them and the performers and how they how they must have what did they do and oh there was a war and then they were at the apollo and when i was a kid the apollo was closed so that was like oh my gosh this is such a sense of lost possibilities right so there was always this theme of you have potential but what are you going to do to live up to that potential and so that was a very strong theme in my childhood. And so seeing people who were living out their potential yeah. excited me. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I hear play and story. Big time. Yeah. I actually have scripts that I wrote in fourth grade somewhere in this house. And again, <laughs> all my friends were in the script. And I was just like, okay. And one of them was called the pint-sized detectives because uh, I used to read like Encyclopedia Brown. And so oh, I was like, yeah. I love that. Right? Yeah. So I was like, we're going to be the mystery solvers of the Harlem community. You know, yeah. was, who is this kid? <laughs> so you've always been this way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I would say that because friends have said, I, I got together with a friend recently from junior high school and I was like, you know, I describe myself as like a cartoon character come to life in a human body. She was like, you just found that out. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I just found out the description, but this, this energy has always been present. Yeah. There must've been times in, in your life where people were telling you, oh, that's, that's not possible for Absolutely. a myriad of reasons. And there is this idea of when children have this big, beautiful dream life, there is this, for so many reasons, adulthood, racial reasons, economic reasons, that people are saying, but that's not possible. That's not the way it's done. Yeah, I, I think that I, I, I think that's why the company's called Dream Development. Mm. Um, because as much as I'm left brain, I'm also right brain, right? And and there's a part of me that's, while I'm not really great with math, I have a mathematical mind in mm. terms of, is this logical? Is this, a, you know, is there capacity to do this? Like as a kid, I was like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to save the world. This is me and my, my childhood voice. Yeah. But I'm also going to get a business degree so that I'll know how to manage my money. Like those yeah. two yeah. were parallel tracks for me. And I think that there were people in my childhood who definitely were the assigned dream killers. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, why is that that every time I'm in your presence, I feel a little less, um, less, just less. Like, like, like your your presence is sucking up my energy, yeah. um, and trying to make me be something that you need me to be. Right. And I would I would say that I am so grateful for the parents that I have had, who were young parents and young enough not to be telling me what I was supposed to become. So, and I know that other parents are different. Um, I had a lot of freedom and some folks were like, you had a lot of freedom and I did, but, but I, I also felt incredibly responsible at an early age because I had so much freedom. Um, and I knew that I needed to mind my humanity. 
for lack of a better way to say it, like it was just like once I realized I was like probably 13 that I was meeting people that my parents never had met and never might meet. I was like, oh, I'm responsible to show up and be the best human being I can be in each of these relationships. And I didn't feel like I was representing my parents as much as I felt like I was representing what it is like to show up and be a good human. Hmm. So I think that's when adulthood happened for me. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, and friends will say, you seem like you were hatched. You don't seem like you had parents. Um, yeah. So there's this, there was this independence that I had at a very early age and I'm probably, my brother has it, had it as well, but they never tried to control that. Yeah. Now the extended family was like, wait a minute, kiddo, you know, let me reel you in. You're a little precocious. You're like, you know, you don't speak to adults this way. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just logic. And it's like, that's not logical. That's in, that's inappropriate. That's rude. And I'm like, mm, okay, good to know that that's how that's perceived. Um, and I did have family members who were just like, you know, being, I went to the high school of music and art, performing arts, the fame school, oh. and the desire to pursue a career as an artist was at that time not looked on as a viable option. Um, they were not, even the family member who, the tap dancer, it was like, well, that was then, but this is now. He didn't say that, but there was the atmosphere of, well, that was that's what he was talented and that worked for him. I was like, well, I'm talented too. And so there was this kind of self-determination to not take on other people's labels. And it's interesting too, because I had a couple of really interesting experiences that told me who I was in terms of, it, it put me in another category. So, and because of those experiences, I then became self-actualized going, I did that. And because I did that, I'm capable of that. Right. And so when any, anything that someone said to me wasn't consistent with that experience, hmm. I was just like, you don't know what you're talking about because yeah. clearly I wasn't even trying and this happened. Right. Uh, performing, singing, writing. Uh, it fifth grade, again, one of those really amazing years in school, I was acknowledged. We had these state exams that were just grueling for us. And I think they were grueling for us as children because they were grueling for the teachers. And they prepped us and they they wanted us to do well. And it was like this national kind of marker of who we were and how well they were teaching. And one year I was called down to the principal's office and this is an interesting story because it also speaks to how, how I grew up. I grew up in an environment that was very volatile. Mm. And in that volatility, my concern is that I was being called to the principal's office because something had happened. Right. They were pulling me out of school. So I was technically freaking out and uh, went down to the office. And this was on the day of the national testing. And um, the principal, who was really an interesting character, said, do you know what you did? And I was like, First off, yay, it's me. I'm in trouble. So uh -huh. nothing happened at home. Hmm. I was actually relieved. And then two, I was like, okay, what? Because <laughs> I was like, just let me let me take it. And she was like, you scored the highest reading score in the entire school. You've got a college level reading ability. Wow. And I was like, greatness. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm gonna be, be president. Like it was just really, <laughs> it was a really cool moment. Um, and so that told me what was possible. You know, um, and it was fun for a minute. And then, um, and then, so when that acknowledgement came, there were other things that encouraged me to say, okay, what do I need to do to develop this potential? 
because mm -hmm. now it's been demonstrated. Um, but I, I was always very mindful that there's raw talent and then there's cultivated talent. Right. So, um, so I was, I, I started wanting to cultivate it. Right. Wow. That is so powerful. The, that you're like that as a child, that no one got in the way of it, really. The people closest to you said, go, and didn't squash that. And that you were able to see, I love that you were able to, because of course all shit happens, right? But you were able to say, yeah, but I see and hear and experience the good stuff that's happening. And I believe in that more than I'm believing in the negative stuff. Yes. And, and again, there was a lot of negativity. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and, and it was interesting because people would say, well, you don't ever seem like you get down or you get mad or, you know, and I'm like, this joy, as much as I would say the gift of being creative is a gift, the gift of joy was something that I definitely was birthed with at an early age mm. um, because, or gifted with, because I thought, you know, the stuff that I've been through, it, 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 it was not easy stuff. And I know and have decided to pass a positive judgment on those things mm. as things that have helped, again, curate and cultivate the person that I've become. You know, whatever people think about that, it's on them. I'm appreciating my response to the things that I went through. Yeah. Like people said, you know, you're a product of your environment. And I was like, I'm a product of my response to my environment. Mm -hmm. it's, I choose this response because it could have been this or it could have been that. And it, it factually, it was funky, but what I've chosen for it to be is this, and this is yeah. my narrative. This is my story. Yeah. Um, and I'm owning it. You can disagree with it too, but I don't care. Yeah. I, I, I was, um, I saw that you were writing about that, the, the stories that you tell about yourself and the way you tell your stories to others and that you become our, our worlds create, our words create worlds. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that play and story. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When were you, what was your experience? I mean, I, it, I am so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you, Sonia, because I just, I always love talking to you and I'm, I'm really loving hearing that I can just imagine you as a child and how that just, that like, you're such a positive force it really is is it's a force it's an energy force but it's so light filled and i just you. see you like zooming through your your life like get out of the way if you're not you know you can either be pulled in or you can get out of my way <laughs> yeah and i'm curious what was your experience um you know you've been so influential in my life in terms of one of the things that I've just been so in awe of is your ability to see the dream and then mm -hmm. convey that dream to me in a way that I understand, because mm -hmm. I, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then be really strategic about it. Okay, here's the dream. Here's how I see that you can tap into it. And here's right. what we need to set up around it. Right. I'm curious, what was the first example or experience that you had where you realized that how you saw the world mm -hmm. was impacting others in a positive way? There's recent examples, but then I would say one of my very first examples is my dad. 
Um, my dad, such an amazing soul. He was a high school athlete, had a third grade reading level, mm-hmm. and became disabled at a very early age, my early age. He was in his 20s. So in an essence, he was incredibly um, emotional around his inability to do certain things to provide for his family because sure. of his disability. Having been an athlete, the thrill of victory, the agony sure. of defeat, right? Yeah. So well, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed it was. So when I think about being very close to him as a child, I was very close to those emotional highs and lows. Mm. So that joy gift, I'm sure, was a benefit for him in those low times. Mm. But in particular, he and I had this activity (laughs) that was a very interesting one. So my dad was always suing somebody. I mean, (laughs) he understood the nature of a litigious society (laughs) and he was going to fight for his rights. But with the third grade reading level, his literacy wasn't comparable. He's a brilliant man, but his literacy wasn't comparable to the brilliance in terms of the letter. Yeah. So I then became his secretary at like probably seven. And so he would exhaust his thoughts with all their emotion. um, And I would write them down. And then I would go, so, hey, why don't we take out this part of it? Because it really sounds Mm -hmm. like a little bit too angry or you're not going to get the results you want. So let's reshape this. So I just remember, and, and, and this is a practice that went on for years, probably until we won court cases from his letters. Um, he would take me to see his attorneys and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but I would help him process his anger in letter form mm. so that we could get to, a, a, we could like, he would threaten people in the letters. <laughs> so yeah. Like, yeah. I, I can't sign this. Like, I can't put your signature on this because I don't want them to come for you. It was like, but you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but let's find a better way to say it. And I think that that is a mm. reframing Yeah, is what we're talking about. Giving people another vision of the same right. set of facts, right? but these facts told this way can have better results, or these facts viewed in this way can have better impact, or these facts reframed can get you closer to your goal or your dream. Hmm. So I think that that would be like the earliest memories. Yeah, that's that strategy piece. And I would imagine, Sonia, that these facts processed this way can give you some peace so that you can put some of that anger down, get, get it out, put it down mm-hmm. and move yourself towards your goal. Mm-hmm. Which was ultimately to provide for us. Yeah. So, and then when we started getting, you know, winning court cases, he was like, I want you to see. And yeah. I was like, hey, all right, we did it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's also an example of understanding how having that dream, being strategic about it has an outcome that can be impossible to think is possible. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I I think I wrote on a card. I have a card that says dream development is when the impossible becomes possible. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, that, I, I mean, I was an attorney. That is not a probable outcome. Right. For a man with a third grade writing ability. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Truly. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's extraordinary. 
One of the things that, and this is, I guess, really ties into that story, that true leadership is filled with behind the scenes hard shit that you get no credit for. Absolutely. And I'm curious where you find the dance in that, where you find the energy. I mean, I heard you say that it's always been part of you, that joy. Mm-hmm. How does that serve you to dance through the hardship? I, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I think about my recent experiences um, and observations of myself and others. And I think joy is, is closely, and I'm grateful because this is not a gift, but has been a practiced skill, empathy. Mm-hmm. And I, this whole thing about assume positive intent, really, if, if, if I were in a boxing ring and it was a shadow, <laughs> we would be shadow boxing back and forth because my my first response is like you know what you did like you know like that's so stupid or um what like i just like so those those are truly being critical is 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 a is a is a first response yeah and then because i believe in what's possible i don't want to respond out of that criticism because mm. i know I mean, you know, it's funny because I learned this from uh, one of our our uh, alt MBA mates to write the uh, email that you're not going to send first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, but like I've you always, did for your dad, right? Full circle. <laughs> that's right. So, it, and when it's you though, yeah, you're feeling all kind of, you know. Yeah. I want to make sure I get this in, you know, because yeah. I used to be, the, I used to be the person who would be in a situation and then think about all the things I should have said yes. when I was out of it. Yes. And then I, <laughs> all I said was, oh, that's okay. You know? So I think that if I were to answer the question in a way of how do we dance with that? Sometimes I trip. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I, I trip. I don't, the music, I can't hear it. Oh, I love All you I for hear is my this. emotions. Yeah. <laughs> And my emotions are screaming at me. Yeah. And they're saying that was racist. They're saying yeah. it might not, it might not have been, by the way. But it's like that, you know, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Or, you know, or maybe it maybe it sounded like it sounds like the voice of my dad now that when I talked about that story earlier, I was like, <laughs> this is a similar voice. But the voice of anger. Yeah. And so when I when I'm angry first, yeah. I'm not dancing. Yeah. I'm actually trying not to punch. Yeah. I love you for saying that. You've just put voice to how that's my struggle right there. I am I am fighting. And I'm the same way. I do that. I have conversations for months, usually in the shower, <laughs> out loud, to the person I'm pissed off at. <laughs> somebody, you know, somebody posted something the other day and it really hit me. It was on Instagram and it said something to the effect that accountability can sound like an attack when someone isn't ready to look at themselves. Mm. And I was like, and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting it accurately because it landed on me in a way that I thought was really important because there was, I was in a group text and I wanted to respond because there's a, there's a behavior that 
somebody needs to be held accountable for. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I put it here, they're not going to hear it. They're going to feel attacked. Right. So I held my tongue and I haven't said anything. I've just adjusted my behavior to that behavior. But, and it kind of feels like this whole thing about, again, reaction, response, and leadership, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because in relationship with each other, leadership is not always who's in front of you, it's who's beside you, right? Mm -hmm. So if if we're laterally leading, I can't come for you in a way that is not sustainable, because all you're going to see me as is a a foe and separate me out or somebody who is not really sensitive to your feelings. And so it's, for me, it's like this assessment of where is this? So when I'm, when I'm not fighting yet, because it's because I'm trying to assess the, uh, the audience, I'm trying to assess the capacity. I'm trying to go, I can say what I have to say, but is the truth said out of time is just as hurtful as a lie Hmm. is something that I'm really mindful of. And and because I can be um, direct, in a way that uh, <laughs> that is clarifying, I know that that's also a gift that I need to be mindful of. Mm. So it's it's just like, and I, so leadership is not just about you know it's so funny because all of this stuff is what you would hope an empathetic leader is 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 doing, other than just telling you the direction that they want yeah. you to go in or that they they think you should go in. Yeah. So I've really, you know, kind of this whole leadership conversation is an interesting one because I, I didn't consider myself a leader ever. I was put in positions of leadership because other people wanted me there. And then because I wanted us to succeed, mm-hmm. I took on the role. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't something I ever was like, yeah, I'm going to lead. I prefer the background. If I'm forced to lead, I will. If somebody else is leading in a way that I don't particularly respect, then I've got to find a way to support their growth as opposed to undermining their leadership. Mm-hmm. Because if I had wanted it, then I should have stepped up, right? So so I'm very aware of who I am and kind of what's in front of me. And so I'm just kind of like, okay, how do I continue to support something or lead from my position without usurping, disrespecting, or violating someone else's growth process? But I'm, I'm definitely about leaders growing. Like, I'm like, listen, if you're in the role, I hope you don't want a yes person, because if that's the case, then I'm probably not the one you want on your team. Yeah. Yeah, that's collaborative leadership. Like you say, it's not just about who's in front of you or who's behind you. It's about who's next to you. That's yeah. that's your that's your kind of leadership. I I really appreciate you talking about the fight because that really resonates deeply with me and. I hear that parallel in how you helped your dad say, listen, like that, that emotion, that shit's real. Like that shit is real. That this is what I was, you know, this is my, like, I can just, I'm really resonating with, you know, not knowing anything about him, but just that struggle of that physicality being taken away and his identity as a man and a provider. And then that like just emotional shit show I you know and your role in that of saying yes yes and yes and right you know again and and a black man in America right after after assassinations after the civil rights movement early years of integration you know trying to have a sense of his identity yeah 
um, and being and being father and husband were huge. You know, no longer the athlete, but definitely part of this. And I should say why it was such an important part of his life. He and his teammates took the state of North Carolina uh, in 1964, and they took the state as this high school football team that are called the untouchables, but they were untouchable because no one ever scored on them. Mm. So it's kind of like, what? Like you went through a whole season and no one was ever able to score on you. And as I've been delving into that history, it's really powerful because the school was opened in 1926. It closed in 1966. And the history of the football team was stellar, but it was a, it was a history in the making that my dad's team was the pinnacle because there were several other teams that could have had that achievement and just missed it they got it so their coaches were clearly brilliant coaches but then this was the right team it's actually called the perfect season Mm -hmm. because it was the unscored season and so you know and i remember talking to him about that about that period of time in his life and he said i had to make the team i wouldn't have made it if i didn't make the team Mm. and it was like you're you're a teenager simply looking for a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a sense of like, you know, I matter in the world. And then to go to New York, to now be raising your family, and then to have this tragic accident on the job. Yeah. And, you know, so, and then he spent the rest of his life in this disabled condition. So those delicacies, I say, in terms of understanding when anger is actually completely valid. Yeah. It's not even like there was nothing in that that he did yeah. other than show up to life. Hmm. And it wasn't so pretty. Right. Oh, that's heavy. It is. And so, so now talk about fighting. Because yeah. now you feel like, wait a minute, I'm not just fighting the situation. I'm fighting all the tragedy that brought me to this situation. So I need to not only have victory i need that victory to give me a new sense of identity right wow that is dream development right there (laughs) it can be heavy you know and i feel like people could miss the dark underbelly of dream development um, because they could say oh she's just about helping people succeed but i'm like no you know what it's not always sexy like you got to get in Mm. there and and it's not always like it's not it's not a sitcom it doesn't resolve in 30 minutes right um it's just it's not it's 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 real and i had someone say to me once because my branding is is dark blue and these deep colors and she was like when i think of dreams i think of like skies and light colors you should change your branding and I was like, well, clearly we're not in alignment with what my gift is. Yeah. Because it is the highs and the lows. Yeah. Yeah. She, if she had a peek at my dreams that they are not light and airy. <laughs> I have a fucked up nightlife, I got to say. <laughs> that part. Yeah. I remember someone said that the depth of the valley is the height of the mountain. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's that duality. That duality. That is the dance. It yeah. is. And I think I feel like we're just getting to dualities. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and you it sounds like you from a very young age were aware of duality and that that you there was always going to be one with the other. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have had to address, and it hasn't been that comfortable, is is my anger it totally justified? Sure. And what do I need to address inside of myself that why am I so fucking angry about how this is coming at me? Because clearly it's hitting a nerve. So yeah, I can be angry on behalf of, but I'm also, let me be really honest about it, probably angry because I may have had the similar a similar reaction to somebody else or for instance I get really impatient this is so unfair of me but I get so impatient and angry at people who are further behind in the journey towards anti-racism than me which is some kind of bullshit because <laughs> because of course, I was further behind than I thought I was. And people are really genuinely patient and kind to me then. So who am I to be so impatient? And also, how much am I not recognizing in that how far I have to go? Mm -hmm. So my anger allows me to stay slow in my journey so I can be focused on that guy mm. instead of, you know, that's moving myself forward. So sometimes my anger is a is a mirror of what do I need to check in myself? Oh, absolutely. No, that's good. And that's what I, I guess that I got off a little bit, but what I was talking about accountability and being feeling attacked. Yeah. Because you're not ready to see. Yeah. So it's just like I and and so there's this it is a it's a nuanced dynamic what you're talking about about the mirror and about emotion and action and in inspiring action as opposed to inspiring shame mm. yeah that's good because and that's why my heart is to be empathetic in these conversations around race and allyship and all this kind of stuff because there is some stuff that's really intentional but there's a lot of stuff that people just don't realize. And then when I say that, there's the other group of people go, they don't realize it because they're too privileged. Yeah. Consider it. Right. That's a fact. But if I come at them based on the fact that they haven't looked at it because of their privilege, I'm still not activating the yeah. person who could actually do something about it. Yeah. All I'm doing is calling out their position, but I'm not calling out the person. Mm. that doesn't help right because i don't even know if i'm dealing with somebody who's willfully holding on to privilege or somebody who literally stumbled into it is unaware that it is all around them mm -hmm. and now they've been made aware it's around them so they're trying to see it but now they feel too ashamed to really look because i've made them feel bad yeah that's extra they already have enough they could feel bad about I'm just saying. Yeah, it's true. It's an and. Yeah, it's an and. What have you discovered in your leadership that you didn't expect? Ooh, mm -hmm. this is new. Um, <laughs> I know I'm flawed. And I should start with that. 
And I'm always on the hunt, <laughs> to say, for the type of relationships that can speak back to me without fearing, fearing to hurt my feelings, the things that they perceive. There's a statement that says, actually, Beth Comstock was the one that I heard it from. Beth Comstock, chief innovation officer, marketing officer from GE, ex like former. Um, she said, tell me something. The way she would lead her team was tell me something you don't think I want to hear. Mm. That's how she would ask for feedback from her team. I was like, oh, ah. you know, uh, in, the, in the Bible says, tell the truth in love. So it's kind of like, I'm like, all right, yeah. Mm. So that's that's something that I've incorporated over the last three years, two, 2.5 years, I would mm. say, of inviting that type of feedback. I'm still waiting because <laughs> I think people don't like confrontation. and But then I'll, I'll just take it any way I can get it sometimes. And so what I recently became aware of is a, my own bias. And I did not realize how I was excluding a particular community of people because of my assumptions about them as it related to leading. So I've really been, once I, I wasn't even deep, once I was like, oh, you completely have overlooked this whole community. I was like, I'm going after them. And so I started just meeting with individuals who I have access to, to find out more about them and to discover them. And it's huge because I'm a natural mentor yeah. and it's a, it's a just, it's a group of young people in my life who I just really had not spent any time with. And it's opened up my professional experience on a whole nother level. Um, and it really just, I tripped into it this summer and discovered that I wasn't focused on this area and this this community in a way that could actually benefit both of us. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's just wild because I was so focused on what I didn't have that I didn't realize that I was missing something that was really available to me. Right. And that's like my anti thing. Like, I'm always like, where are the possibilities? Where's, you know, where are the undiscovered resources? And because my own limitation and experience with other people of a particular generation had caused me to kind of just put a little bit of distance between myself and them, yeah, I was like, well, this is stupid. And I realized I needed to um, re-examine that. And it's been great. Thank you so much. It was a, a privilege and an honor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Seriously, it's fun. I got... So many interesting little nuggets, and sometimes you don't realize what you're, what's in you, yeah. Until you're in a conversation that invites you to mm. see yourself. So thank you for letting me do that. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for listening to How I Live Through This. I really appreciate it and certainly don't take it for granted. My goal for this podcast is to get support where it's needed. If you're so moved, please check out the organizations mentioned by my guest and consider how you might assist. Rating and reviewing how I live through this will also help amplify these heart-centered leaders striving to make equitable change in the world. Thanks so much. <laughs>